Well, welcome along. It's Saturday afternoon. Time for Unbelievable with me, your host Justin Briley, through till four o'clock this afternoon. But you can listen to us online any time of the week. Premier.org.uk/unbelievable. It's the place to go for Christian, non-Christian discussion, theological discussion, philosophy, faith, science, the Bible, all kinds of areas that we tackle on the show that aims to get you thinking. Hope you enjoy today's program. It's part of our Mind, Body, and Soul Month here on Premier Christian Radio. You're unbelievable. And in the final edition of the shows that we've been looking at this theme,、uh, we're looking at the soul、uh, in terms of demons. Do they exist? We're asking today. Three guests join me on the show. John Tancock, known as JT, has been in charismatic church leadership since the 80s. He、uh, has an, a, a ministry involving apologetics, but、um, not many know he's also regularly involved in deliverance ministry. He believes demons are real. We'll be finding out why from him. Will Vanderhart is、uh, the, one of the founders of Mind and Soul, an initiative to help churches in. Engage with issues of mental health. Now he believes in the negative spiritual realm, but he is worried about the stigmatisation of those suffering from mental illnesses who may be、uh, misdiagnosed or, or、uh, labelled as having some kind of demonic activity. Also on the line, Jonathan Clatworthy, General Secretary of Modern Church. He takes a liberal view. Demons do not exist, as far as he's concerned. Hope you enjoy today's show. Well, thank you, gentlemen, all for being with me on the show today. This is such. A fascinating area, as much as it's a kind of dark area in many ways, and, and obviously something that、um, some people are wary of stepping into. When I mentioned, for instance, on my Facebook page earlier in the week that we were doing this discussion,、uh, comments flooded in. People wanted to know all kinds of different things about about、um, what Christians believe about this, both from the atheists on the site、mm-hmm. and the Christians.、Uh, so I know there's a lot of anticipation and interest in this area.、Um, Let's introduce you first, though, gentlemen.、Uh, in the studio with me today are John Tancock, JT, and Will Vanderhart. So let's、uh, let's introduce you guys, JT.、Um, not the first time you've been with us. In fact,、uh, a very memorable episode the last time you came on the show. A very very memorable episode, Justin. <laughs> people may some people who are regular listeners may remember it. It was because、um, of really the person opposite you,、um, right. known, known as B Strong,、um, who was our atheist guest on the line from America, and well, it was his style more than anything that, that, that got people talking. It was、um, well, I'll, I'll post up, I'll post up with the podcast just for those who are interested、um, what that was about. It was, it was on the, whether Jesus was a historical character right, of history,、right. um, and uh, well, uh, B Strong had a very <laughs> interesting take on that, but. That aside,、um, many people will know you then because you came on obviously to defend the historical Jesus, and they will know you having some apologetic background. May not be so familiar with the fact that you you are in the you know labelled charismatic church、um, that you're involved in deliverance ministry. Here's the funny thing. In a sense, funny thing. By day, you're you're an independent financial advisor. That's right. I'm guessing your clients aren't aware of the other aspects of well, what some, you do. Some your... of my clients are because they're Christians. Okay.、Uh, there is a funny story, funny story attached to the confluence of those two things. Perhaps if you want me to go tell on. It. Yes, tell okay. us. Okay. I, I used to do、uh, deliverance sessions, if you like. I've done about fifty or sixty in my humble little life,、um, and I used to do them in the morning.、Mm. Uh, But I used to drive to work after being involved in these, what frankly you have to say, are crazy, surreal situations, 
And I used to pinch myself thinking, what on earth was I doing? Mm. I used to go into the office, sit at my desk and be incapable of working for the afternoon. So uh, when I ever do them now, I do them in the afternoon. So I get my work done. Right. <laughs> so it's I can cope, cope with the bizarre. Yeah, sort yeah, of, bizarre uh, sort of practical aspect of, of what you do there, JT. Um, obviously, you, you do believe in demons. You're, you're involved in... Um, I mean, so you believe there are real negative spiritual entities, as it were, that are able to possess people and, and influence people yes certainly um for me the the baseline is the revelation in in the scriptures the new testament particularly and the the worldview there expressed by jesus the belief structure of the new testament clearly indicates that there are these negative entities if you like to call them that i don't like the word possession i don't think it's a, a fair representation of what the bible teaches but certainly they do exist and okay. they damage Well, it'll be very interesting people. to hear some of your experiences in the course of the show. Um, our other guest in the studio is Will Vanderhart, as I say, founder of Mind and Soul, an initiative helping churches engage with issues of mental health. And, um, well, that's really part of the reason we're putting on the Mind, Body and Soul Month on premiere uh, during January. Um, Will, t- tell us a little bit of your background and what got you into this particular area of ministry. Well, I'm a church leader and actually also lead a charismatic church uh, in London, a part of the Anglican Church. And uh, you might like to know that there's 44 registered Church of England exorcists uh, Mm. in the UK. So actually, deliverance ministry, the stuff that JT is talking about, isn't something that's sort of uh, outside our our field of reference by Mm. any stretch of the imagination. I I work... um, in uh, normal parish ministry, but I have a particular interest in emotional and mental well-being. And um, Rob Waller, Kay Middleton, um, Jonathan Clark and myself have, have been uh, building a mind and soul um, interface between Christian spirituality and mental and emotional health issues for about eight years now. Mm. And uh, we really um, struck by the plight of many Christians uh, in the churches who often feel stigmatized. And um, I think the ministry that JT's talking about is a significant one. But what troubles me, particularly, is the way that so many Christians uh, who struggle with mental health issues are automatically labelled as being under the influence of some sort of demonic power or other. Mm. I think that's uh, partly Hollywood. Uh, if you mm. look at famous films like The Exorcist um, and you know, the sort of the kind of the cult um, work that's out there in Hollywood about uh, mental health. Mm. It's often a strong combination between religious themes and um, and also uh, kind of horror. Yeah. Um, and so really we're interested in saying, in really being advocates for those folk who are struggling with mental health issues, particularly serious and enduring mental health issues in this sphere. Do, do you think that the majority of people who do exhibit some kind of, say, personality disorder where they seem to have multiple personalities... It is a psychological issue, and, and it's only in a very small minority of cases that you would label any kind of demonic sort of aspect to it. Well, I think, I mean, even if we began there, Justin, just with the idea of multiple personality disorder, I think that's a, that's a very misunderstood disorder in itself. Um, some psychiatrists would question that as a, as a diagnosis. Personality disorder is a serious issue but again we we tend to think of hollywood themes where someone remember jim carrey uh did a film where he was where he exhibited some sort of multiple personality disorder but it's very characterized about mm. sort of very clear rational splitting um really the people who tend to get labeled as demonic um are those who are suffering from schizophrenia schizophrenia mm. schizoaffective disorders um sometimes bipolar one disorder mm. and sometimes um disassociative personality disorders but um 
really, we, 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 there's a fine there's a fine line we're walking here. And today, I've come on really not to not to kind of rubbish the idea that folk need deliverance ministry. I'm not here to oppose that. But what I am here to say is that actually assumptions that we can make, and particularly the church has made in periods of, over periods of time, has been that. Everyone who suffers from a schizoaffective disorder, everyone who suffers from a personality disorder is is effectively demonically influenced and therefore doesn't really need psychological treatment. What they really need is deliverance. Well, our final guest joining us uh, by phone uh, is Jonathan Clatworthy, General Secretary of Modern Church, uh, who promote a, a liberal view of theology. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for joining us again. You, you last uh, came on a year and a half or more ago um, talking about the resurrection in a, in a programme looking at a, a, an evangelical and uh, liberal view of the resurrection. Um, but today we're talking about demons. Um, uh, tell us, uh, Jonathan, where, where do you stand on this? Um, what, what's your general view of how we should read passages in the Bible where demonic activity seems to be occurring? Well, thank you for asking, Justin, and I think the Bible would be a very good place to start, because that's very much where my interest in it begins. Um, uh, I also, like Will, a um, uh, Church of England priest, uh, I'm retired now, I used to be a parish priest some of the time, a university chaplain some of the time, but quite often drawn to attend situations where people were concerned about mm. demons and ghosts and things. My um, main commitment really is to biblical monotheism. Um, That is to say that there is only one God. The Old Testament uh, is the only ancient Near Eastern text where there's not a single reference to uh, evil spirits. Um, uh, All over the ancient Near East, um, evil spirits are responsible for all illnesses and much else besides. And um, I think the key idea that there is only one God um, means that um, Mm. what evil does, evil comes from um, the free will God has given to humans, basically. And that means, A, we are responsible, which we don't like. like. We'd prefer to blame some other beings. But B, we can actually do something to make the world a better place. So you don't believe in a, a literal Satan, you don't believe in any literal demons associated with Satan. Um, for you, it, it, evil as it, as it manifests is a product of humans uh, and it, the free it, will. Uh, basically, yes. Mm. I mean, what, what do you do with those passages then in the New Testament? Obviously, there are many episodes where we have stories of Jesus um, being confronted with people and, and he casts yeah. a demon out of them. What, what, what's going on for you in those instances? Well, well, for me, what's going on is that the fact that there are none of them in the Old Testament is quite astonishing. Now, later on, um, because there was so much pagan influence around, as they, as they ceased to be such a, a, a cut-off society after Alexander the Great, pagan ideas came in again, and um, many Jews were influenced by various pagan ideas. So Mark has these six exorcisms, and Matthew and Luke quote them. Mm. And so for you, it it really is, though, just a sort of um, pagan ideas influencing a sort of uh, uh, the New Testament writers, essentially. Basically, yes. I think what Mark is doing, um, and Mark is the interesting one when we're talking about demons, is that he's 
he's saying Jesus is bringing in the new age. <clears throat> Jesus can still the storm. Jesus can do all sorts of things ordinary humans can't do. Um, and um, the only people who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah are the demons. Right. The disciples are too stupid to understand, and nobody else spots it. Um, and, so, um, so it's a kind of a literary device, in a sense, then, for you, of, of, of how he gets across this idea of the messiahship of, of Jesus. I mean... In a way, yeah. Yeah. yeah, let, yeah. Well, interesting perspective. And um, if you'd like to comment on that or on anything, I guess, saying the programme today, you're welcome to drop me a line. You can email unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can also get in touch, of course, as I've been mentioning already, on the Facebook and Twitter accounts. And um, we'll try and include as many of the comments and questions and stories that you've been sending me this past week uh that's at unbelievable jb for the twitter uh you can also find that um the facebook page facebook.com slash unbelievable jb but all the links available from the website premier.org.uk slash unbelievable you're listening to a program today we're asking the question demons do they exist unbelievable with justin Brierley. So uh, John Tancock, JT, is our um, charismatic pastor who's involved in deliverance ministry and uh, is uh, obviously one who would say, yes, demons do exist. Will Vanderhart says, yes, there is a negative spiritual realm, but we must be careful of labelling people with mental health issues uh, as having some kind of demon. Um, Jonathan Clatworthy of Modern Church says, there's no need to talk in these supernatural terms anymore. We must understand these sorts of episodes in the light of um, a proper, if you like, understanding of the Bible and a proper understanding of modern science and medicine. Um, you were sort of looking a, a, a bit askance there at, at um, Jonathan's analysis of the Bible, JT. What's, what, I mean, why do you obviously differ from his view of, of the New Testament episodes? Well, Old Testament first, Justin. I, Jonathan, I'm sorry. I, I think I have to t- disagree with what was said. There's not a lot of information in the Old Testament about what we would call demons, but it, it must be significant that the Septuagint, which was... The, uh, the Old Testament of the first Christians, uh, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, translates five different Hebrew words as demon. Um, you, you can't find a lot of information. There are snippets. Uh, there's a, a very interesting passage in 1 Kings uh, 22, verses 20 to 22. There's, of course, the, the Daniel 10 passage uh, Prince of Persia and all that sort of thing, which may not strictly come under the category of demons as we understand it. But there are indications in parts of the Old Testament of there being evil entities which are not angels and they're described in different ways. And in the New Testament, well, for me, the issue of the demonic is not peripheral. It's not uh, a fringe either activity or comment. It is central to the message of Jesus. So Matthew and Luke quote that famous passage, which was one of the key things for me in, in believing and moving into this area, where it says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God or the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Every single author of the New Testament, not every single book, but every single author except for Hebrews, um, mentions demons. One one of the atheists who got in touch um, on the the, uh, the the Twitter account, uh, no, the Facebook, sorry. Um, well, I won't use quite the fruity language he used, but it essentially was, how can you possibly believe this stupid XXX? What makes you believe this stuff? Is it your experience, uh, the fact that you take literally the New Testament stories? Um, 
Well, it, it, the base for, for what I believe isn't my experience anyway, and I think that's where many Christians have gone wrong who work in this area. They build on their experience and they create and fashion theologies and very big books, which are, frankly, purely experience-based, and that just isn't good enough. But for me, the, the, you take the words of Jesus and the words of the first Christian leaders, the writers of the New Testament, you just can't get around it. It is so prominent right through the pages. And briefly, what does it look like then? When you're doing a deliverance session, give us an idea of, of what's involved, um, what kind of things you would be saying, doing, what happens when the demon manifests itself. Take us through that. Well, there are different types, of course. <clears throat> you, c- you can have a situation where I can think of one, we were in a very large meeting, there were a few thousand people there, uh, a chap was in the middle of a row um, in a right state, you know, manifesting, I suppose you would call it. I had to do something out of the ordinary. I had to sort of edge along and deal with it in, in the middle of in the row, if you like. Mm. Yeah. Uh, most most aren't like that, Um and it would involve an interview, just a calm so, interview. So, as it were, making an appointment. Yeah, basically, yeah. making yeah. an appointment, yeah. Um, sometimes the act of doing that will bring out the worst, if right. you know what I mean. Um, so what happens? Do they start to talk the, as though the, the demon is talking within them? Well, the experientially, there are all sorts of things that can happen. Um, and sometimes... Uh, There'll be a furtiveness. Um, there'll be a, uh, a ridiculous calmness sometimes, and you realise that this is this is not normal. The person, and the person seems unusually passive, which is which is of course the root of the word demonizomai, which is sometimes mistranslated as possession. There is a passivity about the person, but as you as you carry on the interview, and particularly as you might pray with them. Or because the issue, first of all, in talking to anybody is, is it a demon mm. or is it mental illness or is it just they're a bit confused or depressed? It could be anything. I mean, one other, another person on, on uh, the, who got in touch by Facebook asks, um, are you in a position to make that judgment about whether someone's suffering from mental illness or a demon? Um, I mean, mm. you're not presumably a trained mental health professional, no. JT. No, no, I'm not. And uh, that's why I approach this whole area with a, a, a huge degree of caution. Um, there's considerable interview that goes on and asking questions, uh, getting the feel of where the person's at. And sometimes I'm talking to someone who isn't even broaching the idea themselves of the demonic. Occasionally they will say, I have a demon, will you deliver me? And often I have to land them very gently and say, no, you haven't. Um, Sometimes I do get a sense uh, of there being something happening here and I I move forward. And what happens then in those instances? How would you then bring that situation to a conclusion it depends how aware the person is if i if they're at a pos- position where they they embrace the possibility that this could be the case i ask them whether they want to be free and um uh, I, I ask their permission i would like to pray with you but also i would like to if if there are evil influences at work uh, in your life uh I would like your permission to speak to them. Please don't think I'm talking to you. Uh, they give me permission, and I start the job. And f- sometimes, right, just before that happens, before we're at that clear place, I talk about Jesus, because that will often provoke But at this activity. point, as it were, the demon takes over the voice. and 
No, it's strange. You see, people have this idea. Well, I, I'm, I am going, I yeah. suppose, on on what I've seen in yeah. films. This is, I yeah. guess, what a lot of people yeah. think of. Even, but you, these days, you you know, the ubiquitous YouTube. You can you yeah. can find yeah. people like um, I don't know. There's this guy Bob Larson who does a yeah. sort of show on on it and, and all this sort of business. Not I mean, th- this is not representative for you of of what happens in in your experience. It isn't representative of what happens with me, and I don't believe it's representative of what happens in the New Testament either. And I think if we kept coming back to the examples that are given us in the New Testament, we will not stray far. We will not get into long conversations with demons. Uh, I think it's in Mark 9 where Jesus saw that there was a group of people gathering Mm. and he did the deliverance really quickly because he he didn't want it. Well, very interesting. We'll come back to it. Um, Will, what do you make of all that? Um, For you, uh, is there a danger here that um, John might be treading into the area of a mental health issue which and and perhaps... Doing more damage than good, maybe. Justin, you know what? I've had I've had some good chat with with JT, and his approach really encourages me because something about what he's saying is um, it's clear. It's it's in the context of an interview. It's done privately, and actually, there's a great sensitivity. Even if JT hasn't got a huge experience within the realm of mental illness, he is actually working with a great level of sensitivity, and there's a desire within him to avoid um, humiliation, embarrassment or showmanship. And I think what we've seen the worst of within the Christian world when it comes to deliverance ministry has been a sort of simplified showmanship where it it appeals to certain pastors to sort of demonstrate that they've got power and therefore you see these sort of publicised issues on on YouTube and in some media and some books. And actually they're the problem. Because they, uh, they, 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 you know, they're actually they're actually humiliating, um, and also there's huge assumptions there about the roots of mental illness, which is something we've we've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of times today. So, um, when you when you look at the work of Jesus in terms of deliverance, there's a protection of the person. What we see in the most famous passage, of course, um, is uh, you know, the, the passage of, of Legion, mm-hmm. um, is actually that there's a protection of of the man. You know, actually, that he's he's fully clothed before the people return and find him. He's, he's his dignity, if you like, is restored. And what what really concerns me about some of this, some deliverance ministry, particularly focused around mental health, is actually it strips people of their dignity. Mm. Um, at the same time, what we see from psychiatric services is that is that actually we 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 mustn't underestimate the perception of psychiatric services on the value of deliverance ministry as well. Because, Justin, you could make an assumption that um, JT is getting it all wrong because he might be upsetting people who've got mental health problems. But actually, if we look at the approach that some top psychiatrists are making, it actually is more incorporative of deliverance ministry than you'd expect. For example, Robin, mm. Professor Robin Murray, head of the psychiatric research at King's uh, College Institute of Psychiatry, says not all psychiatric problems respond well to traditional and conventional treatments. Um, so he says, while I don't um, apologize. While I don't know of any scientific evidence that exorcism works, I would have thought it reasonable for a hospital chaplain to carry this out. And Professor Christopher Cook has written a new set of guidelines on spirituality for the Royal College of Psychiatrists and says there is a spiritual dimension to all health-related issues and exorcism might be appropriate in some cases. And I suppose that the, the view is perhaps even if the person giving that suggestion may not believe in it they say but if it works if that's what helps the person in their situation then yeah go for it it it, it may be a sort of 
you know, s- s- psychosomatic thing that, that helps them out. But but there's no harm in in doing it. In that sure, sure. I mean, I, I think I think well. I mean, you could argue that there's a lot of harm in doing it if it's not if it's not real because it kind of continues a, a cycle of of, mm. of, of of untruthfulness. But but what what I think is is really essential in in the is is the approach that we take here, mm. not in um. Not, not in sort of sensationalizing what actually is a very serious area. And, I, you know, I think what Jonathan said earlier is very interesting because ancient Near Eastern wisdom is filled with, um, with mysticism, particularly, and with the demonic. And if you look at the Enuma Elise, particularly famous piece of, of, of Mesopotamian wisdom literature, you see it filled with the demonic. Mm. Now, if you look at the Genesis story, which makes sense of the Enuma Elise and clarifies it, it brings in order and it does bring in the centrality in the monotheism that, that, that the Jews believe. At the same time, what we understand is that the demonic world is no longer a kind of scattergun expression of the spiritual realm, but actually it has its roots in the devil. And actually, that what we actually under, how we understand the demonic is actually the fact that we understand that there is God, there is his son Jesus, there is the Holy Spirit, and then there is the devil and all those associated with him. And if you go into Zechariah chapter 3, um, and, and, and verse 1, you say, it says that he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. So what we see in the Old Testament is very clearly um, the monotheism that Jonathan's talking about, but also we see the accusing word of, work of Satan. And so this isn't um, kind of mysticism broken down. This is monotheism expressed. Well, uh, uh, can uh, I yes, please, please do. And uh, just a couple of minutes because we're running out of time on this section. But I would like to hear your response to, to all uh, yeah, of that. Jonathan. Right. Um, uh, I agree with JT that the Septuagint translates Hebrew texts as uh, demons, and and the Septuagint was written later, closer to the time of Mark. So that's written. But I, I was very sympathetic to what Will was saying about healing processes, because, um, and I could come back to that, I mean, I I see the exorcisms of Jesus very much in terms of, if the person concerned feels they're bound by an evil spirit, well, there is some some kind of process at work there, and if I can reassure them that then they can be released from that, that's the thing to do. but I don't agree with him about Satan. Um, just as um, uh, he quotes the Enuma Elise uh, as, um, as an example of lots of different deities um, all quarreling with each other, which is absolutely right. The idea of Satan comes from, uh, is also a, a foreign import. It comes from the Persian uh, religion of Zoroastrianism, where the world was created by two gods, one good and one evil. And um, there are three texts mentioning Satan in the Old Testament. And in all cases, that Satan is an obedient servant of God. Hmm. He simply is a sort of witness for the prosecution. So, so for, now, you, for you, I mean, we, we are going to have to, I'm afraid, take a break, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And I will come back to you because you've also got a lot to say in response to, to what's been said 
just here. But um, we'll take a quick break and, and we'll come back into it uh, straight away. Demons, do they exist? is the question on Unbelievable this afternoon. Part of our Mind, Body and Soul Month on Premier. Find out more about that at premier.org.uk slash mind. And um, we're talking with JT, who's involved in deliverance and ministry. He's in charismatic church leadership. Uh, Will Vanderhart, part of the uh, Mind and Soul Initiative, he believes in a negative spiritual realm, but also wants to make Christians aware of the mental health issues that often get misdiagnosed by Christians as, as demonic. Uh, Jonathan Clatworthy, who we just heard from, from Modern Church also in the mix uh, as a liberal voice on this issue. So come back in a few minutes' time and we'll be continuing to dig into what is a fascinating and controversial area. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. With me, Justin Briley, this Saturday afternoon, also online at premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. Demons, are they real, is our question. And, um, well, it was C.S. Lewis who said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Well, um, we've got different views on uh, the issue of demons on today's programme. I'd uh, be interested to hear what you, you guys think of that particular statement of C.S. Lewis's as well. But um, today on the show, uh, JT, who is sort of experienced in deliverance ministry as a charismatic pastor, Will Vanderhart from Mind and Soul, who says we need to be aware as Christians of the mental health issues often going on underneath the surface. And Jonathan Clatworthy, who says demons don't exist, uh, we need to get up to date with modern science and medicine and understand episodes in the New Testament and in the modern day in light of that. So um, I wonder what you think of this. You're welcome to get in touch as usual. You can email unbelievable at premier.org.uk and don't forget to get in touch via our social media platforms. That's the Twitter at unbelievablejb, the Facebook facebook.com slash unbelievablejb and the website premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. Uh, sort of preparing for this program, I've been reading a really interesting book, um, and can I recommend it to anyone listening? Uh, it's Exorcism and Deliverance, Multidisciplinary Studies, published by Paternoster. The editors are William Kay and Robin Parry. That's Exorcism and Deliverance by Paternoster. Um, one really interesting chapter is by Philip I think it's pronounced Weiss, uh, uh, W-I-E-B-E. Um, he is a professor, uh, but he has no problem with the, with demons as real spiritual entities. Um, he talks uh, in some detail in his chapter on deliverance and exorcism in philosophical pers- perspective uh, about some real cases he's, he's heard of or witnessed. Um, this was a really interesting one caught my eye. Um, under the label Other Transfer Cases, he says this, During my graduate studies in Adelaide, South Australia, I came to know a widely respected minister, Leo Harris, who, in addition to the duties that come with leading a movement of about 60 churches, across Australia and New Zealand also conducted exorcisms. In one of these events, the voices in an older man responded with the threat that if they, the plural form was used, were forced to leave, they would enter a certain young man who was known to Leo. The young man also lived in Adelaide, which was a city perhaps three quarters of a million people at the time. Leo said that he ordered the spirits to leave the older man in spite of the threat and also ordered them not to enter the young man. 
Well, within half an hour or so of this exorcism, Leo received a telephone call from the mother of the young man who had been named. She begged Leo to come to the house immediately because something strange had come over her son. When Leo arrived at the house, he was ushered into the room where the young man was resting, and upon shutting the door behind him, Leo heard the threatening voice that he had heard a, sh- heard a short while ago say, "We told you we would get him, didn't we?" Leo construed the fact that the events were in close temporal succession and that no apparent contact between the two had occurred as evidence that the exorcised spirits had indeed entered the young man. I, I found that a fascinating account because there are many people who would say, presumably like you, Jonathan, these this is instances of personality disorders of psychological um, problems um, you know a learned pattern of behavior perhaps in some sense um, but the, here's here's a very interesting example where this obviously person obviously believes that his he's actually what could be amount to some proof of the real tangible existence of spirits uh, at, at an instance in which apparently a spirit in one part of the city went across the city into another person. Um, very hard to explain away in that sense. Would, would you agree? Yes. Um, I think the, the, I agree that the, often the evidence is very impressive. However, um, uh, I think the catch is that, uh, I mean, I don't fit C.S. Lewis's classification because I'm not a materialist. I definitely believe in God, even though I don't believe in evil spirits. But I also think that... Um, uh, modern science doesn't explain anywhere near everything. Not, you know, I, I mean, scientists these days recognize that what science knows is only a tiny, tiny proportion of what's going on. And um, so there are other things going on that, that we just have to accept. Why, why would you rule out, you know, the obvious right. reading of this then, of, of it being demonic spirits involved in this instance? Um, uh, I would rule it out um, as demonic spirits um, because of my uh, biblical commitment to monotheism I think if you lose that then all sorts of things go wrong and we can that, talk that's about interesting though that, that you see monotheism as, as as it were being in contra- contradiction to the idea of spiritual entities um, right yes indeed now um, in the ancient world of course they wouldn't have distinguished uh, separate entities like viruses and germs Right. Um, the, the question at issue, which I think is interesting to us, is not whether there are invisible forces about that do things, and there are, quite clearly. Um, the question is whether they are self-willed, right? whether they have a, a free will of their own that make their own decisions. And if that's the case, then we're all fatalists. Science won't work. Um, right. I, I uh, mean, I, I understand what you mean by that, 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 as it were, materialism isn't all there is. And, and uh, I can understand that. I suppose just to throw it across to you, JT, I, I mean, the problem Jonathan has with this is if you if you believe in monotheism, there is one God, one spirit, then you can't go about saying there are other spirits as well. And, and sort of these self, you know, generating spirits. I, what, I'm, what's your view? There? I'm a committed monotheist. And the New Testament uh, expands our understanding of monotheism and this obviously could take us in a a different direction but the Elohim and the Yahweh of the Old Testament have become uh, the Theos and the Kyrios of the New Testament which is uh, God the Father and Jesus who is Lord and the Shema of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 becomes in Corinthians this amazing declaration to us there is one God the Father and one Lord Um, so I, I I don't understand the conclusion 
that Jonathan's coming to in this regard. And when, when you come to the New Testament, it is clear that the accounts indicate that these entities have uh, will. They, have, they, they, they talk to Jesus and say, please, please cast us into the pigs or whatever. Uh, there, there are some conversations that take place. I mean, you, you, you've conversed. I mean, you say it's not something to be encouraged, but, mm. but what sort of, when you have had them, conversations do you have with these demons? I, I keep them as short as possible. Give me your name now. I command you in the name of Jesus. Why, uh, why, must, why do you ask for the name? Not all the time. So, if I'm having a problem... It's very difficult because this is experiential now, but it's based on the accounts that I've seen in the New Testament. So I try very hard not to stray too far. So there are accounts where Jesus says, what is your name? If I'm finding it difficult um, to put my finger on the, the particular demon that's involved, I will ask him the name. And does, it, does having that information give you a better idea of what yes. to do in those circumstances? Yes, I have to say, though, experientially, it's better if I uncover that separately. I'll give you a quick example. Mm, go ahead. Um, I was dealing with a, um, a very educated, intelligent woman in her 30s, and she had a chapel background, a Welsh, very religious background. And um, I, I was, she was very troubled. Her face was burning. She was saying, I can't understand what's happening. You know, there was... There were, there mm. were, physical things taking place and in in the course as i was trying to get my hand on you know mm. what i was dealing with i had this real sense that there was something in her which manifested in a religious way to do with her background to do with the damage that happened to her when she was younger and it was to do something with what is welsh so i had this i believe from the holy spirit rather than me saying go, get out. Um, I didn't bother naming the particular spirit, but I simply said mind, which is the Welsh word for go. And um, I, I said it quietly and calmly. Uh, I said to the girl, I'm going to say one word, mind. And you could say all hell broke loose, but that was the turning moment. And uh, after all of the struggling and the fighting, that one little bit of revelation made a difference, you know. Uh, very interesting. Now, it sounds almost as though you're you're kind of working to make this demon manifest itself so that you can somehow... Is there this, the process that you need to kind of bring the demon to the surface, as it were, in order to, to expel? I or? try and avoid that because it's painful for the person. Sometimes it is unavoidable, I believe. Sometimes when I can't stop that happening, I just need to identify and chuck out. Now, occasionally, a person will uh, uh, will retch very violently, um, will do a number of other bodily things which which uh, are related to that. I, I I really try to keep that to a mm. minimum because it's not nice for the person. No, no, understandably. I mean, rather facetiously, Sam Priest asked, what are some common demon names? Is it like Mephistopheles and Balthazar, or are there more names more like Bill or Greg or Bruce? Yeah, indeed. I mean, <laughs> Well, what, what the New Testament says, and, and you know, sarcasm is just inappropriate because you're dealing with people's lives. And the, the accounts in the New Testament, as I said before, are not periphery things. These are really central. 100 times demons are mentioned in the New Testament. They are no joke. And the, the presence of Jesus and the, the proclamation of the kingdom of God sets people free. And when... when 
Yes, go ahead, Jonathan, and then I'll bring um, Will, Will in as well. Uh, certainly these things do occur in the New Testament, but they also occurred uh, much more frequently in all the pagan exorcisms that were going on in that part of the world at the time of Jesus. Uh, what JT is describing is what pagans were doing all over the, you know, the, all over that part of the world. Um, and the thing about knowing the name is a classic instance of, oh, I've got magical power over this demon because I know its name, was a very, very common thing. It seems to me that when you compare what Jesus does with what the other exor- with what pagan exorcists do, um, what Jesus does is is try to minimise the the significance of all the, the the demonic entity altogether. It doesn't waste time on um, uh, long incantations or mm. on troubling himself with a name. Well, I think JT, JT would agree entirely yeah, with abs- that. I absolutely agree. But there is an account where Jesus asks the demon, what is your name? And um, I'm, and then I feel quite happy doing that occasionally. I don't do it all the time, only when I feel it's necessary. Um, but of course, the, the demons are described in other ways. There's a, there's a, de- there's a, um, uh, one that caused um, a child not to be able to speak. Now, they might have been uh, diagnosed as an elective mute or something like that. But in that particular situation, that was the co- that was the effect of the demon being in a person's life. And. Was this demon exercised? Could the child New, speak? New, New oh, he's New talking about. I thought this was a, a situation but, you were. But this is the key thing. You see that if if we if we focus too much on the experiential now, we 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 are in danger. I, I've developed a model which I work in my head and on paper of columns where the, the Bible clearly teaches what is a logical conclusion based on that, and then there's experiential things. If we hold, if we know what that piece of information is and where it fits in that that scheme we won't stray too far i suppose will you're you're happy that jt is kind of has a certain amount of accountability towards the bible and himself and 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 everything else i suppose the danger is of course when people just take it into their own hands and start doing this kind of thing and and that's the danger where people just yeah look the danger the danger really is about assumptions i think um, uh, what JT is talking about here is, is you know, is, is a very, very sensitive and a very considered and a very biblical aplo- approach to, to, to this issue of demonic deliverance, and, and that encourages me. In fact, I think it's the specific nature of what he's talking about which encourages me too. On the basis that I'm here today to, to really to, to, to tell people who might be sitting at home listening to this feeling um, like they might be condemned because they have a mental health issue and that they, or they, might, they might perceive to be under the influence of demonic power, that what JT's talking about actually clarifies that that's most likely not the case. And the reason for that is that what we're he- hearing here is very specific things. Um, people who suffer, for example, from schizophrenia might have strong hallucinations and they might also be extremely paranoid. And some people who suffer from those sort of hallucinations might, for example, say that they're the devil or that they're Jesus or they're God. Now, actually, they're quite common symptoms of quite severe schizoaffective disorders. However, just because someone might be saying that they're the devil or saying that they're God or saying that they're Jesus does not mean that they're actually influenced by the demonic. Mm. However, 
There might well be in uh, every 10,000 cases of schizophrenia or even in every 1,000 cases of schizophrenia someone who might be struggling with some sort of demonic influence as JT's described. In the same way, during the normal healthy population, those statistics might also be true. So what I'm saying today is just because you have a mental health issue and even particularly if you have a serious and enduring mental health problem that might appear to sort of lean towards the spiritual does not mean that you're actually influenced by the demonic. Mm. Because the medical and the psychological outworkings of some disorders are, if you like, quite severe and quite religious. However, the specifics that we're mentioning today, things like sitting with someone who is very much conscious of who they are, of what's going on in their lives, and even the sort of discussions that JT is talking about, about a demonic force manifesting itself and then there being a sort of a logical and a clear demonstration of what's happening are very different to the disordered nature of of, of the schizophrenic mm. disease i mean i suppose the practical thing side of this for me is is say you were not a an expert in this area like both of you gentlemen but you were a novice and you were in some meeting church meeting say and someone started to do something strange next to you and, and you thought crumbs what's happening and they they seem to be exhibiting signs of talking you know demonically or whatever it might be now it, it, the first thing you should do is it pray for them and pray that this demon leave in the name of jesus or is it find your nearest mental health professional and say excuse me <laughs> someone's having a psychotic sure. episode over here it's yeah. kind of in that scenario what <clears throat> what do you do well, the first thing to say is that it's extremely unusual for a psych- psychotic episode to suddenly manifest itself like that most people who's suffering from psychological illness will have had a very very gradual descent into a psychosis many of them will already be supported by psychiatric services and often it's their families who will have referred them in the first instance so the idea of an instantaneous psychotic breakdown in the middle of a church service is highly, highly unusual. Most people who have mental health problems come to church to find some support and assistance. And the mistake often is when an overzealous pastor sees someone who has a serious psychiatric disorder, maybe who's even said, I'm on medication, I'm, I'm supported by my local mm. CAMS team, then says, oh, don't worry about all that. Don't take the medication. Don't worry about the psychology. We're just going to deliver you from this because this is all about demons. Mm. That's the big error. Mm. So, so what, what we're actually good, saying is, yeah. how can we support people who have got mental health problems and perhaps people who do seem uh, to be demonstrating things that it would, on a cursory level, and on a Hollywood level, be really easy to say, oh, well, this is obviously something demonic. Um, how can we support them and, 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 and protect their I dignity? I will come to you, Jonathan, but I... I in that case, then, when you do see these somewhat, let's say, celebrity exorcists, I'm, I'm talking about Bob Larson, for instance, who even has a programme on TV about his going around and exercising people. I mean, would you say, quite simply, the majority of those cases are actually people with mental health issues? I, I, I haven't seen them, so I, I couldn't tell you. And, and I think it would, again, it would be irresponsible for me to kind of make comment on their individual cases. What I would say is anyone who makes celebrity out of this sort of ministry is not a person who, who I would recommend that you went to see. I think you're familiar with this chap, JT, so quickly, what's mm. your view on... Well, it's not only Bob Larson, it's a number of others. The, the fact is, there are people... Because this, this area is exciting. Uh, it it's, um, can be spectacular, and in a little way, you can be a Hollywood star because you cast demons out of people. And I, I think that, that Rambo approach is appalling. 
and you don't see it in the New Testament. Uh, you, you have people uh, commanding demons to leave so that people can be set free. Now, the practices, because part of the reason why I developed the model that I have is that I read so many books, so many books, saw so much stuff, which was, not to put too academic a word on it, freaky, mm. uh, weird, wrong, unbiblical and they seem to operate on the level of the louder you shout the more demons and, and, you and it, kick it, out it seems to get very esoteric you know it, it, I, I saw on the clips I witnessed you know I bind you with the the threefold cord of Ecclesiastes and all this That's sort of right. thing I think well, well where's where's that theology all come from this well, is all that, quite that is exactly the thing which I, I've you know over the last my first demon was 1985 my active involvement was a few years later but it, it's it's say 91 something like that and since then i have sought to avoid that sort of nonsense and i would counsel people to do but, the same but for you jonathan it's it's all nonsense in that sense isn't it the, well, this this yeah. kind of um, and activity. i mean i totally agree about the celebrity thing i, I mean uh, that's that's the worst of it um but um, the uh, the thing about um, you know that binding quote you just given. I mean, it, it's so common among. Uh, I mean, it, it, not just pagans in the ancient world, but right up to the rise of modern science in Western Europe. I mean, the um, uh, they were writing prayer books, you know, with prayers for people who think they've just seen a demon cross the road in front of them, um, and. Um, yeah, I would... I mean, is there I, not a danger, though, here, Jonathan, that, that just because maybe, yes, there was an overemphasis in the past, there people, you know, did sort of, you know, do unbiblical things, that casting the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, by, by then going to the opposite extreme and saying that there are no malign well, spiritual forces. Well, I mean, the, the position I take is that there are lots of forces that science doesn't understand, and we have to accept that. I think, I think you know, these would be part of... Um, the experiences that, that JT has observed. But the, the, the sticking line for me is that there is only one God and these other forces are not self-willed. Um, uh, if they were self-willed, um, well, if they can affect physical things, for example, then science can't work. To take an extreme example, if they can affect the way you, you, your car drives, if they can turn your wheels to the left when you want to go to the right, then you're never going to drive a car. But this life, is just it. essentially, isn't it, the old problem of miracles, full stop, and, and Hume's objection to, to mir the miraculous. Well, I mean, th in that case, one could say no miracles can ever happen because that would ruin our trust in the, the you know, uh, uh, One of miracles you can argue about, right, but what we're talking about here is uh, beings that carry on existing and can at any stage, at any time, in any place, uh, suddenly uh, uh, change the laws of nature so that something... I mean, no new technology would work. In fact, you know, the, the, the regularities of nature that we all depend on for our lives would be under threat all the time. And that was the assumption of most mainstream polytheism, at the time when the Jews were developing hmm. monotheism. That's why it's so important. Um, I mean, this, this is a, a somewhat more technical, I suppose, aspect of this, JT. I mean, you obviously disagree that our trust in science and the regularity of the, the world is, is thrown into doubt by the existence of demons. No, I, <clears throat> I'm going to have to think about what Jonathan's words on the way home in the train because they're not landing in my mind at the moment because you read the New Testament and, uh, and it, it's important because we are Christians, 
that that the the Old Testament is to be read through the pages of the New Testament, uh, through Jesus' glasses, if you like. But when, when we read the New Testament, whichever writer we go to, if we go to Luke, for instance, there were uh, talks about people being healed who were oppressed by the devil or ruled by the devil, uh, people who were afflicted by unclean spirits. Uh, Matthew describes uh, as someone who was cruelly or very badly demonized. Um, and these things affect people's lives. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. One thing that has struck me in, in doing a bit of research into this is that, um, in a sense, you, you tend to find more of this sort of activity being demonstrated uh, in other countries, Africa, um, Latin America, if you like, the, the, the places where obviously there isn't a sort of... Um, Western view, if you like, uh, sort of where there's a more sort of materialist view of, of the way things work. I mean, now, is this just a kind of factor of there's more people more prone to superstition and, and <clears throat> that sort of view of what hap- what's happening in the spiritual realm? Or or is there something else going on there? I, I mean, one person who got in touch with me um, wanted to tell me some stories of uh, a missionary who's working in uh, Mozambique. And just in the, not that she deals in this stuff all the time, but she just has some fascinating little stories on her blog of um, people she's encountered where apparently demonic things happened. Um, one of the teachers at the school she works at, who uh, whose mother was a witch doctor, and uh, at that point, um, he uh, when she died, um, the, the the another witch doctor came and was at the house where the funeral was taking place, but no one had really turned up because they were all scared of the witch doctor. He commanded everyone to be still and not mess with anything in the house because they were holy things that belonged to the spirits. And that he he said the next thing we should do was sacrifice a chicken and spread its blood around the yard. Well, she ignored him and went off to bury the mother with a a sort of a Christian burial. Um, But the following Sunday afternoon, um, uh, another member of the family had died that morning. It was his nephew... Um, she, he had been in good health, uh, and the account that the relative gave was that this person had become possessed by a spirit, began to speak in another voice. I mean, obviously this is second-hand, somewhat anecdotal, but this sort of these sorts of accounts seem to happen <clears throat> with reasonable regularity in other countries. Um, now, and the way it works what, is by what, fear. Okay, Jonathan first. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the way it works is by fear. Because people think they're surrounded by all these evil spirits all the time, the fact that this burial took place contrary to the witch doctor's instructions means the whole society is expecting some other disaster and somebody's going to crack and somebody's going to produce the disaster. Um, that's the way it works. It's, 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 it's terrible. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say that... You know, I haven't got any experience of this, although I've spent some time in, in Uganda and Kenya, and I, I know there's a, a stronger spiritual uh, outlook about the, the work, if you like, of, of the demonic. But then I'd also say that if you, if you choose to stir things up, <laughs> then often you get what you are looking for. Um, and, you know, I think in, you know, maybe we, we don't have, we certainly don't have that many witch doctors that I'm aware of in this country. But um, I think you know in, in Africa, if they're seeking that, then 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 you find you find what you're looking for to a level with regard to this stuff. So, and- so th- th- where, when it comes to, I mean, so I've often heard people talk about um, that they got involved in the occult in some way when they were young, Ouija boards, that sort of yeah. thing. You you think that that is a, a, a in Look, a sense, opening yourself up to those kinds of forces. You know, the 
I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bible-believing uh, evangelical leader, and what the scriptures say to me is that, that actually we are to flee from the darkness and to cling on to the light, and that Jesus is the light and our protection, and therefore that, that actually to, um, to seek to accommodate the darkness in, in any way is, is a mistake, and that there is, of course, potential to, to oh, if you invite um, into your life things which aren't of the light but are of the darkness, then, then you often get what you ask for. So. But- I mean, you know, we, we have to be careful about yeah. about these sort of categories. And obviously, we don't want any listeners to feel to feel terrified if they've been involved in anything in the past. But you, know, you asked a question earlier, if we met someone in our church who appeared to be experiencing some sort of psychotic or demonic outworking, what should we do? And I would say, rather than praying it out of them or going to see the psychiatric support services, the first thing to do is just to pray, because that's, that's our first, that should always be our first action. And actually, when we're asking Jesus for wisdom and insight on any situation we also get what we ask for and and therefore you know we can make what what i've liked about jt style today is that he's making um sensible biblical considered and insightful decisions about things and i think in all of these circumstances in all of the examples given there's a need to pray for discernment and for wisdom mm. and actually not to act in haste or to make gross assumptions because they're the things that often do people the most damage one uh, we are Getting towards the end, maybe we, we, we have to leave this question for, for a bit later. Actually, um, so many areas that we haven't got to in the course of today's program, and, and we're already just about out of time. We'll come back for um, just a, a summing up from our guests in a short moment's time. Fascinating discussion though today on demons. Do they exist? Part of our Mind, Body, and Soul Month on Premier in January. Uh, so come back in a short moment's time, and we'll hear the rest of our conversation this afternoon. Welcome back to Unbelievable. It's Saturday afternoon, time of the week when we get together for discussion and debate on theological issues. And, um, well, it is the end of our mind, body and soul theme for January. Uh, this is the final in three programmes we've been looking at that. Get some of your feedback to the last two weeks when we were looking at the mind and then the brain as well. Uh, neuro- has neuroscience killed God was our subject last week. Um, but if you like, this one today on demons um, it touches obviously on a more supernatural issues. And we're going to continue that into a- another sort of series of programs uh, coming up. So today we were asking demons, do they exist? Next week, it's angels. Do they exist? And uh, on the pro side of that... Peter S. Williams, Christian philosopher, will be joining me. He wrote a book called The Case for Angels, and he'll be making that case on the program next week. Lee Warren is an atheist. He's a magician and a trainer by trade. He says that people's paranormal experiences always have a natural explanation. He'll be arguing against the existence of angels on the show next week. Hope you can join me for that. And don't forget, if you want more information on the theme we've been running, the Mind, Body and Soul Month on Premier, go to premier.org.uk slash mind. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Well, concluding our uh, Mind, Body and Soul Month, we've been looking at demons. Do they exist uh, on the programme today? Uh, John Tancock, Will van der Hart and Jonathan Clatworthy with me on the line, representing sort of different views um, along the spectrum, as it were. Uh, JT, as we've been hearing, you've been involved in deliverance ministry and uh, you see no reason to see... You're obviously very aware of the fact that we need to be aware of whether it's a mental health issue or not, but but when it clearly is for you, demonic, that needs to be addressed in the right way. Um, One question that's come up a few times in the last week when when people have submitted their questions is, can a Christian be possessed? Um, uh, You know, and I've heard it said, well, no, if Christian has the Holy Spirit, there's no room for an evil spirit. What's your view on that? 
the first thing I would say is that the word possessed is really unhelpful. Uh, the New Testament word is uh, usually used and translated as possessed as demonosomai, which doesn't imply total ownership, which is which our word possession does. Uh, there are other words used, like to have an unclean spirit or to have a demon. Um, and then there's another description of someone who is severely demonized. I much prefer the word demonization, which in, in, implies in it there could be degrees. Mm. Uh, there are people who would be worse than others. Um, <clears throat> can a Christian have a demon? Well, we haven't got time to, to look at all the arguments, but let me try and summarize it this way. To think <clears throat> that a demon can't exist in a Christian's life because they have the Holy Spirit. Well, what about bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? And how could Satan fill the heart of Ananias and Sapphira if they had the Holy Spirit because they were Christians too? The fact is, if we experienced and came to faith in a similar way uh, to the New Testament... Perhaps very, very few Christians would have demonic influence in their lives today. But the fact is, when do they leave? If demons exist, if demons affect people's lives, do they leave when the person puts their hand up in a meeting at an altar call or goes down the front or when they pray the prayer? When do they leave? And even though I understand that truth and the the uh, people putting their faith in the truth of what Jesus has done and who he is can itself remove demons from mm. a person's life. It is not often immediate. Okay, so there, there is sometimes an issue that remains and, and has to be worked out perhaps at a later stage in that person's Christian life. What's your take on that question, Will? Well, um, mine's, mine's more of an experiential one in that I've prayed with many people uh, and I've received much prayer myself. And I know that there's parts of our lives which need to be continually renewed and actually that there are sometimes things which from the past broken experiences and uh, things that we, that we have to be set free from. Uh, I maybe don't always categorise these things strongly in terms of an active uh, demonic presence but I, I'd say that the, the world is broken, the world is fallen and the world is under the influence of sin and of Satan and as a result, you know, we talked about, we're talking about an integrative approach to mental and emotional health. Um, I think a couple of the psychiatrists that I mentioned earlier, and Rob Waller, who's a consultant psychiatrist who I run Mind and Soul with, all have an integrative view where you can't say everything is categorically psychological and everything is categorically spiritual. But actually, we're mind, body and spirit people. We're integrative and within us is an expression of the spiritual realm, the psychological work, uh, the physical. And, and actually, I think a big mistake, and you quoted Lewis earlier on, is to minimise as a Christian and categorise yourself as, as compl potentially completely liberated from, from any negative spiritual outworking. At the same time, it's very important that we don't categorise all psychological outworking as being spiritual. Mm. C.S. Lewis himself says in Mere Christianity, the bad psychological material is not a sin but a disease. So he helps to understand you know, the inverse of mm, that, to say mm. actually that, that, that we have to look at this, as, a, as I've said many times today, with dignity, with insight, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and we have to do it prayerfully. I think any Christian would be mistaken if they thought that they were kind of gold-plated against the influence 
of the enemy, and that would be a, a real error because the scriptures themselves say that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Right. And we need the church to wake up to that reality without overestimating the influence that those things have. Because Christus Victor, the Lamb wins, and we know that Jesus is sovereign, Amen. and therefore we have authority. Jonathan, we're coming to a close now. I mean, um, you are retired, obviously, from ministry in the Church of England, but as as Will said earlier, there are some 44, as it were, certified exorcists in, in the Church of England. I mean, do you think that's a waste of time? Should the Church, um, you know, oh, no. sack them uh, because them. because demons don't Church exist? needed them to stop um, free-wheeling uh, Ministers setting themselves up as... You're not talking about JT here, are you, Jonathan? (laughs) Uh, I'm talking about precisely the kind of people that JT and Will have been describing as doing more harm than good. Mm, Okay. So so, uh, I don't blame it at all. So Um, so you're happy with with that, in a sense, there being a deliverance ministry within the Church of England? It's just you would... Given the fact that many people uh, have strong beliefs in evil spirits, and given the fact that we all have things wrong with us and that therefore some people are going to attribute some of their illnesses to evil spirits, um, you've got to start from where people are. And, and um, I mean, I do disagree with JT's interpretation of the New Testament, but uh, the, the one thing I agree with is that Jesus started with people where they are and, and uh, didn't try to give them a completely different philosophy of reality before healing them. Mm. Um, but um, uh, basically, I have three reasons why I don't believe in evil spirits. One is biblical monotheism. Mm-hmm, as you've explained. Uh, the other is, uh, the second is that uh, science works and wouldn't <laughs> otherwise. Yes, which we touched and on. And the third is the personal responsibility thing, mm-hmm. that uh, evil spirits are uh, uh, too easy a way of blaming some... Yes, the devil uh, made me do it. you can't control. Yes, yes it's the old, the old joke about... Um, Yes, um, the the child who was uh, found with their hand in the cookie jar or or whatever, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and uh, yes, the mum says uh, um, you should tell Satan to get behind you, and he says I did, mum, and he pushed me in. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> anyway, oh, J J T. Um, uh, yes, final thoughts as we start to conclude today's show. Um, well, there's a verse of the Bible. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. Our task is to do as Jesus did, which is to cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And when we do that, we see a little bit of the rule of God come in that person's life. And I I feel that... um, we can become obsessive about the whole thing, but we need, in the words of an old advert, uh, a double D works wonders. That's deliverance and discipleship and community with the people of God. Thank you for coming in today, sharing some of your experiences as well. been really interesting uh, to hear from you. Um, Will, uh, just a fi- final few words as we conclude today. Yeah, I just want to encourage anyone who's listening who's struggling with mental illness and maybe who's felt ostracised within their own church community uh, to have a look at our website, mindandsoul.info, and find out a bit more uh, about what we've been talking about today. And also to gain encouragement to know that actually um, that the Lord loves you and he wants to stand with you and bless you. And we, we want to encourage you here at Premier. Hope that uh, that you feel encouragement from the specifics of what we've talked today. And I would encourage you to keep thinking specifically and to commit yourself to Christ and to know that he is with you. 
Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, all for being with me today. I'm going to post links to where you can find out more about all my guests, um, as Will mentioned, uh, the Mind and Soul Initiative, uh, JT and, and his website, and uh, indeed Modern Church, Jonathan Clatworthy's organisation. And uh, I'll also um, put the details on there of the um, the book I mentioned earlier on, Exorcism and Deliverance, Multidisciplinary Studies by Pater Noster. So for, for all of that information, it's premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. And of course, you can find past programs there as well. And I'll um, I'll be uh, posting some of those up with the uh, the, the podcast. So uh, do check back premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. In the meantime, thank you to all my guests for a fascinating show today. Hope you've enjoyed it too. And we'll be hearing some of your response to the last few weeks of programming in just a moment's time. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Well, many of you have been getting in touch and thank you for all the emails I've been receiving, particularly emails still coming through and and, and via other means, people getting in touch about the Mark Driscoll um, experience (laughs) and uh, all that that went with that. And uh, thanks for all the very, very kind emails I've had um, over the last two weeks in regard to that. Uh, As I said, I'm I'm not going to read them out, but um, I truly appreciate it if you've got in touch with me about it. Um, I'm very grateful. Uh, so let's look at some of your emails uh, in regard to the shows, other shows we've been doing. Now, if you want to get in touch, again, it's unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Um, and if you want to check out more about this Mind, Body and Soul month that we've been doing during January on Premier, uh, premier.org.uk slash mind. Um, sorry for those who I couldn't get to the question or comment or story that you brought along for for the show today um lots of people on the facebook page of unbelievable were weighing in with their comments maybe I'll, i've got time to read a few of them out now um dave anstey on twitter wanted to say is there a difference between influence and possession i think we sort of touched a little bit at least jt did his view on that towards the end of the program dave um uh, others like Sam Priest wanting to know whether the events of the movie Paranormal Activity are quite realistic and actually possible. Um, the Atheist Missionary says, My childhood religious indoctrination has left me still unable to watch horror movies. They freak me out. Well, from what uh, both our guests in the studio were saying today, um, we shouldn't uh, take too much of a lead from the, the horror movies and the sensational sort of um, <laughs> depictions of demon possession. Um, but uh, Talking Christian wanted to say, as a Christian, I believe in a God who is supernatural. So it makes sense to me there are demons, spirits and ghosts, however you want to describe them. I experienced being released from a spirit while being prayed for. And it was a very real experience of something else trying to reject the prayers and stay inside me. Thank you for sharing that one. Um, it was Justin Sheba earlier who wanted to ask how one distinguishes between demon possession and mel- mental illness. Is there any methodology or is it just pure intuition? I don't know if we satisfied your question on that front today, Justin, or not. Um, and uh, others got in touch Um Dawn Lane Vaughan Holt really looking forward to this one Justin while to my knowledge I've not had a personal encounter with demons Jesus himself did and so I can't dismiss their existence as mere fantasy um uh, Daniel Vecchio not sure if my questions were asked in time but I'd like to know what kind of supernatural or paranormal events are typically associated with demonic possession or oppression also what are the main differences between deliverance and exorcism and is there any such thing as a perfect possession and can such a person be saved? Interesting question. Sorry we didn't get to those really, but I, from what we heard on the programme today, I, I would imagine 
that um, deliverance and exorcism are, are more or less seen as the same thing, um, though I don't in any sense speak as an expert on this, and lots of other interesting questions uh, besides, uh, including issues around when there's an abuse of this, and we, we didn't even get to that, but, you know, the um, the fact that there's been uh, terrible cases, obviously, here in the UK and London of certain independent churches carrying out exorcisms on children and uh, who they accuse of being witches and things, and obviously all of that, um, which uh, obviously would be utterly rejected by the guests we had on the program today but um thank you for the 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 good interest shown in today's program and i hope um well hope we can get some more feedback in advance of next week's angel program if you want to email me or um, leave a comment on the facebook or twitter account for me then please do that if you've got a story a comment or a question about angels um, for next week's show and I'll try to fit in as many of those as I can. Now uh, Samir has been in touch, says I've been listening to your show since the non-stamp collector suggested it. He's one of the atheist listeners and runs a, a YouTube channel that's quite interesting. Now in the debate about neuroscience and God last week I felt that your Christian Dr Alastair Coles made a very unscientific statement. He asked people to live a life assuming there is a God and live then to live as if there isn't one, then stated he concludes that there is a God as it is a better life. Now, that's highly subjective, ignores confirmation bias. Uh, also implies that people can choose to believe and not to believe, when even Pascal didn't assume that in his wager. As an atheist, I live a happy and full life and think that acts of altruism and bravery are diminished by religion. There were many points that weren't touched on that psychology and neuroscience has revealed about the workings of the brain, the propensity to attribute agency to inanimate objects, our issue with identity, diseases like schizophrenia, how the brain seems to be made of modules, how people only see visions based on whatever religion they believe in. Um, well, all of that, um, that was all on the list of paper that I was questioned I wanted to ask, but it's amazing how quickly an hour goes by. Anyway, you conclude by saying, as the saying goes, believing is seeing. Um, also, there seems to be no theory of a God that makes any predictions about how the world should be or what to expect physiologically that are then tested. God is the premise and any data is then retrofitted to show God is plausible. Well, I'm, uh, depends, I suppose, doesn't it? I mean, um, there are those who would say that God is a good hypothesis for as an explanatory framework for the way the universe is um they they wouldn't normally i suppose go to the workings of the brain as the best explanation for why there is a god but they people like alistair obviously don't feel that it contradicts the the idea that there is a god that that the fact that religious experiences are associated you know have uh, a physical dimension in the brain but um thank you for your email sammy glad you're listening now um john a bit different to sammy says i'm a charismatic christian in my 50s gave my life to christ in a conversion experience age 12 brought up in a missionary family have been steeped in the bible and church all my life i'm writing because i've had many supernatural spiritual experiences ever since childhood particularly to do with the demonic i now believe i have the gift of the discernment of spirits uh, it's grown and developed during my life in fact i'm writing a book about it i discern the presence of demonic spirits by a kind of smell and also in various physical feelings it was and is the circumstances in which these spiritual experiences grew and developed that have led me to believe that what i experience is genuine i'm very happy to try to detail some of those experiences for you uh, in next week's program about the demonic anyway you say however i'm also a scientist by university training and these experiences don't always sit very comfortably with me when i feel inclined to adopt a more in quotes, ordinary life view. Uh, my dad, who's a retired consultant surgeon, once suggested that these experiences could be due to a brain tumour or disease. 
Now, I've experienced a lot of depression in my life, and I do sometimes wonder if he could be correct. However, many Christians who have been used powerfully by God have also suffered from depression and other mental illnesses. You could mention Martin Luther, John Newton, etc. So this in itself isn't a good enough reason to doubt my experiences. As part of my research... I'd be very interested in discussing my experiences with the neuroscientist on your panel. Thanks, John, and I'll put you in touch with Alistair Coles. In fact, his email is freely available on his website, but uh, I'll certainly send your email his way. Um, John says of last week's show, by the way, um, uh, Alistair Coles, the uh, Christian neuroscientist, was, was in conversation with Martin Framer, an atheist um, psychologist. So uh, you say, John, typical, both of them sitting on the fence. God opens their brains, then they use it to work things out in their own strength. John, not impressed. <laughs> Going back a little further to the first program in this series, um, the mind-body problem, Keith Ward was talking with atheist philosopher David Papineau, and uh, they were talking about whether the mind is an immaterial substance or whether it's just physical, just a brain. Um, Amon obviously has been doing uh, some philosophical work in this area and um, really enjoyed the show. I'll uh, try to be reasonably concise, um, but but we'll see how we go. Here we go. This is what you wrote, Amon. Really enjoyed the exchange. Both men, very congenial, largely kept the focus on the issues at hand. Um, the show did seem to be a bit more about finding out precisely where each man stood on the issues of materialism and dualism, rather than arguing straight away from well-stated positions. It did give some time for engagement and also a good chance for those of us listening to understand a little bit about the nuances of these philosophical positions. Um, both Keith and David seem to exhibit sophisticated thinking on the issues, and I enjoy that they appeared to be clear and hardly dodgy about them. Neither seemed to be afraid of losing some deeply held or well-loved secondary belief on account of losing ground on the mind-body problem. They were both aware of and wanted to either affirm or concede that the classical intuitive notions about mind and body and knowledge were not to be readily dismissed. It seemed to me that both men thought in the end that personal identity, subjective experience, free will, rationality, moral responsibility were not only reasonable things to believe but were like metaphysical foundations. Uh, it seemed clear that they differed in as much as David wanted to be agnostic about whether these things are explainable via materialism, whereas Keith expressed there seems to be a metaphysical chasm, indistinguishable reasons that exceed causes in volition that keep most, if not all of them, out of the realm of the purely material. Um, so you go on to, again, draw out some of the various distinctions between the two guests. You obviously got a lot out of this program, Amon, uh, in Rock Island, um, Illinois, is it? Is that where Rock Island is? And... Um, you go on to say, um, in any event, it would be very interesting to hear two metaphysicians discussing the finer points about the philosophy of substance in this regard. Sometimes as it seems to me that any clearer picture of where the distinction might lie should be argued on those grounds first. Again, as I said in, in a comment on that uh, show, one for the philosophers and um, trying to provide a range of material for those who, who enjoy these subjects. And maybe we'll get round to something on that philosophical level again. I'm on, but thank you for getting in touch. Um, uh, let's see. Time for Esco's as well. Esco is in Sweden. Um, Thanks for a great show, says Esco. You're doing a great job with the programme. I found you through Apologetics 315 about a year ago, where your program is promoted as one of the best podcasts. And I agree. I really enjoy it. It's very educating to hear how atheists respond to Christian claims. Besides your program, I listen to William Lane Craig's podcast and also Brian Orton's, who uh, 
heads up apologetics 315 but it's really something extra to have a show where both atheists and christians engage in discussions i've learned so much this last year and really been strengthened in my faith in god through the program i am though many times stunned how thin and ridiculous the atheistic arguments are so thanks keep up the good work a short comment about the program on the star of bethlehem really good apart from norman backrack Whereas Hugh Ross, Jeff Swearing, and Mark Kidger were really interesting to listen to and gave good reasons for their point of view, were polite and gracious, I was really disappointed at Backrack. I, at first, I felt sorry for him having to respond to these very prominent and sharp-thinking scientists. Um, but at the end of the day, he was just a sceptic, and not on rational grounds about the matters discussed. He just played the role of sceptic, but he lacked any good arguments for the scepticism, just trying to ridicule the opponents with stupid examples. If I were an atheist, I would be ashamed, says Esco. Thank you, Esco, for uh, for getting in touch. Um, and thanks for David Taylor out in Okinawa. Um, wants to recommend Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola. Absolutely fascinating book. Have you read it, he asks. I haven't. You say you'd like to have him on the show. Um, you also enjoy the universal salvation debate. And if I feel like revisiting that topic at any stage, do so. Um, thank you. Um, and uh, we've got time for one more, maybe one more. Just uh, James, who wants to say, I want to let you know, Justin, about a Bible teacher out of California named Steve Gregg. He wrote a book called Revelation for Views. He'd be great for virtually any topic regarding the Bible. He excels in eschatology and views on hell. His website, thenarrowpath.com. I have a feeling I've been in touch, actually, with Greg in the past. Uh, we never made anything happen at the time. Steve Greg, I should say. Uh, but he's obviously got um, some some good material on these three views of hell uh so um yeah i think uh we'll we'll do the hell topic again <laughs> not least because i sort of raised it myself in, <laughs> or it was raised at least in that mark driscoll interview um and some people may have been uh interested to know what i state my uh my theological mask to in the end but um thank you for getting in touch uh, always interesting to hear your views your opinions on the shows that we broadcast so do get in touch again on today's show look forward to you joining me at the same time next week as we continue to look at the supernatural the angelic realm is our subject next week you're unbelievable so we're asking in similar vein to today Angels, do they exist? Peter S. Williams is going to be the person making the case for angels. He's a Christian philosopher. He wrote a book called The Case for Angels. Lee Warren is a magician and a trainer by trade. He's an atheist. He says people's paranormal experiences have a natural explanation. That applies to angels as well. He can make people believe all sorts of things through illusion, through psychology. Um, we should think the same way about an angel. So join me for that same time next week. Hope you can come here or find us online at premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. Until then, have a great week. <laughs>